So in John 15, 12 through 17, he picks up from 1 through 11. And in 1 through 11, Jesus was saying, if y'all will remember, abide in me and I will abide in you. If you abide in me, then I will abide in you. And he keeps that conditional statement there that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And if we abide in him, then the father's love is in him. And there's all of these ifs and thens. There's this condition of abiding. And the danger for us is that we live in a modern Christian context to where we want all the pleasures and the promises of Christ, but we don't necessarily want the conditions of Christ. We want to know that we're going to bear fruit and that He is absolutely for us and that we can do all things through Him who strengthens us, but yet we don't want to abide. And so that's what we looked at last week is what does it mean to abide? And what is the challenge of abiding? And then what is the danger of not abiding? And that brings us to this passage of John 15, 12 through 17. And I'm just going to tell you all, it feels like, feels like I'm batting left-handed right now. I have a new Bible that I'm preaching from. And it doesn't have my thumb marks. It doesn't have where I turn my page normally. Like, it's just, it's not, it's just weird. Okay, so um, if you ever just see me messing with my Bible, that's why. Like, I have a new glove that I'm trying to break in here. Um, but in John 15, 12 through 17, believers, let's look at this. It says... Jesus is speaking. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So that's our passage today. So remember in John 15, it breaks down to three categories all about relationships. Last week, verses 1 through 11, it's our relationship with Christ. That's what the focus is, relating, abiding in Christ. This passage is how believers relate to one another. And next week is going to be how believers relate to the world. It's all about our relationships in chapter 15. So I have one point this morning. There's only one point in this sermon. 17 sub points, but one point. One point. And the only point is this. As we look at this passage, y'all, genuine believers must sacrificially love one another. That's what this is telling us. We must sacrificially love one another. Or to put it in a different context for you and me, it would look like this. We cannot say that we love Jesus Christ and yet not love those whom He has loved or for whom He has died. So if there is a fellow Christian, it does not matter what church they sit in. It does not matter if they are like you or not like you. Our opinions, our preferences, none of those things matter whenever we get to john 15 12 through 17 that says as i have loved you so you love one another so the one main point of this is that you and i believers like we must sacrificially love one another so i have two immediate thoughts of that i'm reading this i'm like this is so simple and then the next thought is this is so hard I mean, it is. It's really simple for me to love the Mosers. It is so hard for me to love the Mosers as Christ has loved me. 
It calls for a whole new level of love and depth of love that is not natural to us with our sinful hearts. I mean, it's simple in this way. Yesterday, I understood love in this context. I, with some of you other men, we were shoveling out somebody, a fellow believer's garden with lava rock. The fellowship was fun. Shoveling rock, not so fun. Ripping out roots where you think that you're going to pull something and be sore for days. Not fun. But what is fun is to fellowship with believers and to pour your mourning out for that one. I understand that kind of love a little bit. I understand love, though, also like this. Just about every Friday, Saturday night, one of those nights, I'm sleeping on the floor or on the couch because my kids want to camp out in the living room. So I get love, or I get it. I love my wife and I love to make her laugh. I just think it's absolutely fun to hear my family laugh and to spend time with them. We know how to love, but there is a deeper love that goes far beyond this affection that the world has given us. Because I can also say that I love cheeseburgers, a good book in cloudy days. I mean, we take this word where there's such a deep connection and love and then we flip it and we apply it to food and movies and books. So... It's simple to love. It's hard to love, though, because Christ put a condition here. He didn't say love fellow believers. He didn't say just love someone because they're in your church. He said, I'll love them to this degree as I have loved you. And that's the kind of love I don't get. A love, here's the kind of love that Christ had for us. That He would serve and save and heal all who came to Him without regard for Himself. His love was to love the disciples to the end, even when they seemed the most ignorant and dense, even when they would disappoint. He loved them to the end, that he would wash the feet of Judas. Remember? Remember a couple of chapters ago that he would not just wash the feet of the disciples, he would wash the feet of the disciple who would betray him to his death. The love of Christ. The love of Christ that would wash the feet of Peter who would deny him three times. The disciples who would flee so that he stood alone. The love of Christ who would pour Himself out as an offering and who would bear the wrath that was reserved for us because of our sins. And He would not relent. You know, to love is Christ's love. And the love that we are called to as Christians is to love with a death-embracing, all-life-giving, sacrificial love that is not changed because of different circumstances, perspectives, or opinions. But your love for one another and my love for you and love for for the brethren will be genuine evidence of our salvation. So this this is a really simple passage. It's summed up like this. Love one another as Christ has loved you. And this is a really hard passage because you are to love one another as Christ has loved you. Let's, let's keep going. I would say that in our best moments, and we're about to start diving into Scripture, but I want to kind of set some context with all this. I would say that in our best moments, believers, we do love like Christ. And I would say that in our most typical, average moments, we love like the rest of the world. And so as I'm talking to, to Chas this morning and we're getting ready, and you're going to probably hear me say this later, she's like, yeah, but to love as Christ has loved us, is that for like the world? Or who's that for? It's a valid question. We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Neighbors are 
are absolutely the neighbors we see on our streets or the neighbors we come in contact. We love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We want that mutual love, respect, and honor for the world. But we love one another as Christ loved the church and He died for her. So, to what degree do all of us need to love one another regardless of if the believer sits at New Life, Eastside, First Baptist, Fort Chaffee Baptist, whatever church they sit in, whenever they sit there, to what degree do we love we give our lives for them? Piece of cake, right? Okay. I do have a few concerns for modern Christians. It's, a concern, it's, it's what led, I believe, I believe it's what God put on my heart and led me to want to pursue being a church planter and, and planting cross life. I have these concerns. One is that Christians tend to be known more for what they're against than what they're for. We tend to be known more for what we are against and what we don't like than what we're for. And what we're for is the glory of God and the gospel going forth. I fear that as modern Christians, we've forgotten the holiness of God and the majesty of God. And because we've forgotten the holiness and the majesty of God as Christians, then we've also done this. It's my number three. We've learned to tolerate sin, which does separate us from God. And because we tolerate our sin, it becomes so normal to us. The number four, we've accepted a cheap gospel of cheap grace that demands nothing and costs nothing from us. And all of that is absolutely unbiblical Christianity. So, one more concern for modern Christians that is cross life, I love to walk alongside in. But this concern is that we, even as Christians, sometimes or most times are more concerned with securing our preferences and stating our opinions and asserting ourselves and simply submitting to God's commands. Let's think about that right now. Do we tend to live our lives leaning towards our preferences, our opinions, our assertions, rather than simply submitting to God's opinion? I'm sorry, not God's opinion, to God's commands. Because to put all those away and to cling to His commands will call you to die to yourself. I have four, four commands that as Christians right now, like pastorally, I'm looking at my cross-life people and fellow believers. Pastorally, I would say, there's four commands that we need to be listening to. One is this. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. He had another one. He said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was another command He gave. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then He has a fourth command. And He has more. But these are four that I'm just like, man, if we, if we grabbed this as Christians today, what would our churches look like? And it's this fourth command. John 15, 20, that you love one another as I have loved you. Sadly, the, the testimony of Christianity and churches is not always the love that they have for one another, but for what they're against, for the divisions that arise, for how in the world does that look any different than what we've been called to. So, that's the challenge before us. What we want to look at is that we, in our hearts, before God's Word, tremble at the truth that He says, as I have loved you, 
So you should love one another and give your life for one another. I think that that's especially true in a church context. I think that as God gathers believers into different uh, congregations, that they should be so devoted to one another that this becomes a reality. I always put Acts 2.42 in front of you and Chas has our Cross Life shirts because you can't be a real church if you don't have like a t-shirt and a coffee mug and pins. We do have those. Guests, you can take each one. That makes us real, right? You know you know what I'm saying, but our, our, our thing is we want to be devoted. Acts 2.42, the early church had one thing. If you look in Acts 2.42, they were devoted. They were devoted to, the, to God's teaching, to one another, to God's Word, and to prayer. And so if we strip all those other things away and we are devoted to God, that's easy. We're devoted to God's Word, that's easy. Devoted to one another. And then you read the rest of Acts 2 and they were willing to sell and give away whatever they had so that no one had any need. That is the love that flipped the world. And you and I sit here today and that's the kind of love that we're still called to live. Anytime... Before we jump into this first five verse, anytime whenever we say that these are my preferences, this is how I would like to do it, this is my opinion, this is my assertion, this is how I, then may we always remember Mark 7, 9. Jesus told me, he said, you have a fine way. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own traditions. Darn. Okay. What an indictment, though, against the religious leaders of that time. You have a fine way, Jesus said, of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Now, why have I said all that? To really just kind of set the context of this. That you and I were not saved so that we could continue to live our lives as we want to live them. We were saved so that we could live a life that pleases and honors and glorifies God. And to do that, we must love. So here we go. Verse by verse breakdown. John 15. says, this is my commandment. I know we've read it. I'll read it again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask my father, I'm sorry, ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. So let's, let's focus on God's word. My intentional goal actually is not that we flip back and forth in scripture today, but that we keep this very challenging passage in front of us. Because it's enough. And in your ADD moments, I hope your, word, your eyes go right back to these words. He says in verse 15, this, I'm sorry, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. So always remember the context. What did he just talk about in 1 through 11? Abide in me. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And I had a great question this past week that I, that I loved. They said, but what fruit is it? And I had two to three things that, 
that I think speak to that. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit that whenever we become believers and the Spirit comes within us, we will bear this fruit if we abide in Christ. We will bear the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This will be what naturally happens as we abide in Christ. He said that He's the vine and we are the branches. And if we take what Paul said in Romans, we have been grafted in as Gentiles. So we are part of this vine. But if we're part of this vine, then we will bear fruit. But if we are not bearing fruit, if our lives are not marked with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if we are not bearing that fruit, then we are not abiding. I mean, it's one thing for me to see a a tree that's growing and one dead branch right up here, which you have healthy branches, by the way. But if you look up here and there's one dead branch, that makes sense because we're in a natural world and every branch will not grow. But whenever we are grafted into the eternal life-giving Son of God, then we will bear fruit. That sap will fill us and it will be in us. And the very chief one of those will be love. The first and chief fruit is always love. And he tells us, especially in this context, love one another. I think that there's also the fruit of obedience that we see in Ephesians 2.10. In Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in our trespasses. You keep moving through Ephesians. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind, following the prince of the power of the air. That's who we were. But by God's grace, He saved us. And in 2.10, He says that He recreated us. He created us anew in Christ so that we would walk in these new works. So we will bear the fruit of obedience. And then I think we will bear the fruit of going. He said, go. He didn't just say, come together on Sunday and congregate. He said, the church is for the equipping of the saints, and then we go. So, in context, he said, abide. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And then in all of that context, he said, verse 10, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. And what's the commandment? He immediately turns around in 12. He says, love exactly as I have loved you. So this is so simple. This is ridiculously hard. Because whenever I want to love you so sacrificially, my flesh rises up. And I want to seek myself. And I want to be satisfied in knowing that I am comfortable. I want to love in my Christian walk to a certain degree. And Christ said, I did not relent, so why should you? Okay. So, in John 13, 34, Jesus already said this. This is just echoing. John 13, 34, He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And then He follows in 35, one of the most powerful verses for me. He says, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So not this is a way that other Christians are going to know that you're a Christian. It's how the way all men will know if you love one another. And he's talking to believers. You and I have such an eternity shifting, deep, vast love that comes straight from the Father through the Son to us that we do not love with condition like the rest of the world. So whenever he says, you love one another as I have loved you. Yeah, it's different. It's more intense, it's more sacrificial, and it's absolutely what we've been commanded to do. It is not an option for the believer to love in this way. It's a command. Whenever I give my kids a command, I intend for them to follow it. 
Whenever the Father commands His children to go in this world, we go. When He says to love, we love. It's not an option anymore for us. So put verse 12 there in front of you. And then verse 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Y'all, what a powerful expression of love. And we say that, that we love one another. I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. I will die for my kids and I will die for my wife. I will die for my family. You know, I'm thinking extended family, but then you get to the cousins and the in-laws and the outlaws. And so I'm going to die for my family. But would I die for you? And would you die for me? Like that's, that's the question. Now, would you lay down your life? Not physically, maybe, but what if it did come to that? But what if it's not physically? What if it's, what if it is in those things which satisfy and, and pleasure us most? And I just go back to, to churches because I've been in them for, for so long. What if, what if we die to ourselves in our preferences? And what if we die to ourselves in our assertions, in our own arguments, in our personal pursuits? What if we quit pridefully seeking our own way and we simply look to one another and we say, I will give my life. What do you need right now? That's the kind of love that was in the early believers and it flipped the world. And that seed went out and we sit here today and I look at churches and I'm not trying to be critical. I'm, I'm really concerned at modern Christianity that we don't see that type of devotion to one another, to God and to His Word anymore. But when we are devoted, we know that we honor God. Should He give us absolutely nothing else, we know that we have been obedient. There is a, a point where some of you are like, Ricky, don't miss this. So this does foreshadow Christ's love for his friends. I mean, we can't miss that. We can't ignore it. He's talking to them and he says that greater love has no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends and no longer servants. So this does foreshadow his deep affection and love for them that he is going to really pour out his life for them and love in that way which we're to model. So it does foreshadow His death. But I do want to pick up this next verse. He said, you're my friends. Oh, that's wonderful. What's the next word? If. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what did He just command? That you love as I have loved. There's an old hymn. I actually really like it. It's catchy. What a friend we have in Jesus. Like I remember growing up and that's just, don't worry, I have the lyrics here. I'm not going to sing it. That's what you're not supposed to worry about. But we love the idea that we've been called a friend of God. But are we willing to do what it takes to be called a friend of God and keep His commandments? He said, you are my friends. You're no longer servants because a servant doesn't know what the master is. And whenever he called them friends, he clarified it in this way because he's sitting there with his disciples, right? So he's got this group right here. And what they've probably been doing, we know that they were in the upper room and then they're probably walking at this point because at the end of chapter 14, he said, let's rise and go from here. I won't say much more because the ruler of this world is coming. And so it seems like they're probably walking. And as they're walking, he's talking about, I am the vine. You need to abide in me. And then it's almost like he turns to him and he says, Now, you need to love as I have loved you. You are friends if you keep my commandments. And he says, No greater love is there than this, that I would lay down my life for you. you know, a servant doesn't know why they're doing what they're doing and they're not supposed to know. 
A slave didn't have to know why they were doing what they were supposed to do. They just did it because they were told to do it. But friends, friends talk. Friends have a relationship. And there's, a, there's a, an affection there. And he said, you're no longer just servants doing what I tell you to do. Like, go get the donkey and go find us a place to stay and go get us food and go serve. You're no longer just doing those things. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know my plans and my plans are this. And so he brings them into this intimacy and he calls them friends. And this is not rocket science, but y'all, this is reciprocal. They were friends of Jesus, but Jesus was a friend of them. We, if we obey his commands, we are friends of Jesus, but he is a friend of us. And what I mean by that is we take this past just you and me. Our friend Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. And if we say that we are friends with Jesus, then are you and I willing to lay down our own life for that friend? So it's not just the context of left and right, which we just prayed for, but it is in the context of dying to ourselves for the glory of God, laying down our lives for his goodness, his grace, his mercy to go forth. There was a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, just to, for nostalgic reasons. The first verse said, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I'm just going to give you one more. There's, three, there's four more. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The reason I put that there is, again, we love the idea that we are a friend of Jesus. But Scripture is often more defining than hymns will ever be. We are friends if we keep His commandments. But to shift toward this radical kind of love, this obedience in Christ, has to be a willingness to die to self and to live for Christ in such a way that you are no longer part of the factor. And whenever we die to self in that way, then it is absolutely much easier to, to love one another. Because we cannot say that we love Christ and yet not love the one whom Christ has died for and whom He loves. You say you love me, then you will love my family. That's just how it works. Yet oftentimes what we love to do, oh, I love God. I love them. I love God. And we want to be so deep in this love, but there's no outpouring there. Our tendency is to love ourself, love our sin, and then to partially love others. But Christ has called us to love God and to love the people who God has redeemed. I'm going to skip that point right there because it just doesn't matter. But I will tell you this. Friends will sacrifice for one another. I've seen it as evidence in my life. There have been moments at, at a union whenever, because y'all just know my journey with union, there have been moments at union whenever the, the days were dark and the times were really hard. And I'm sitting there wondering, God, why do you have me here? And why me right now? And I would see a friend rise up. And there would be a friend who would come alongside. And I, so I've seen that. And you've seen it in your life. And I've seen that in churches. I've seen whenever a pastor who is loved by God and who has been loving others is hurt by others. And there's this division. 
and we watched through this in Russellville, and to see brothers and sisters in Christ rally together on both sides to be with one another and to sacrifice themselves for the sake of others. We've seen this. We've seen missionaries see everything that the United States has to offer in comfort and say, yes, but God loves them over there, and they're willing to cast it all aside and give their lives for that one reason. We know Marcy and Marwan who are in Beirut, correct? Lebanon. They are on the other side of the world. And when they went, they bought a one-way ticket. Because they knew that whenever they went, that God had called them to love those people right there. I'm telling you, cross life in this context, He has called you to love one another and me to love you in much the same way. Okay, I love this one. Some of you are like, okay, I see the word choose. It says choose, I chose you. Let's do this, Ricky. It says in this next verse, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go. This will be fun. We could so get into the weeds right now. We could get into the weeds of the order of salvation, the sovereignty of God in salvation, Calvinism, Arminianism, predestination, election. It says He chose. I don't think that's the point of what we're supposed to be looking at, though. I do have a Reformed bent to me. You talk to me, you know it. You can ask me, are you a Calvinist? And I'm going to say, why are you asking? Feels like a loaded question. I don't think that's the point of this passage. I think we get so caught up on the nuances of what we want to look at that we don't see what God has plainly told us. It does say He chose Him. Do I believe that He chooses that? Do I believe that anybody can respond unless God first calls? Absolutely not. God must first call. God has to say, follow me. The obedience is on us. But why am I saying all this? Because if we're not careful, we're going to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. So we're going to see all of that, God's intentionality in calling us out of this world. You know why He did though? So that we would bear fruit and abide in Him. That's the thrust of the passage. The rest of the passage is, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go bear fruit, to abide in me. And by abiding in me, clinging to me, we tend to focus on the choosing and not the product or the purpose, which is to glorify God by bearing much fruit. So what would it look like in Christianity if we quit debating? We could quit drawing lines in sand. Don't, don't get me wrong. Doctrine matters. I'm just saying some of the doctrine we matter over is fruitless. Or I'm sorry, that we argue over is fruitless in the moment. He chose you to bear fruit. He chose me to bear fruit. We should be bearing fruit. That's the point. The hope we have, though, is right here. That if He chose us, and we respond and we're grafted in, then we will bear the fruit of loving one another. But you cannot just take verse 16 or 12 through 17 and completely ignore 1 through 11 that said, Abide in me and I will abide in you. Follow me and I will be in you. Keep my commandments and my love will be swelling in you to such a degree that your fruit will be evident. So am I Reformed? Absolutely. Am I Calvinist? You can label me, sure. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that there is no excuse anymore that if He has called us and we have responded and we are His, regardless, we should be bearing fruit and we have to obey His command. Any theology that allows us not to obey and not to love is a bad theology. All right. So His choosing, 
is all about God pouring his rich, rich love into the son and the son pouring his rich love into us. The intimacy that Jesus had with God. Now Jesus ushers us into the presence of God. So we need to learn to love as Christ has loved us. And then he concludes with this. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So I'll come back to my main point. Genuine believers must sacrificially love one another. It's an end to ourself because our old self has already died. Don't get me wrong. The old man is within us. The old man says, yes, but... And then the new man says, yes, but Christ. He has taken all of our selfishness, all of our sin. He has borne it on the cross so that we may no longer live for self, but live for him who has called us. The question is, are we actually going to do it? I mean, do we really want to love in this way? And so it does come down to, there's always, yeah, but give me some practical application. So I, I just wanted to keep the waters really clear. I talked with Andy about this throughout the week. Last week, I gave four ways just to practically abide. And those four were this. Continue to attend a healthy church. Read the Word. Pray to God. Trust and obey what God has called you to do. Those were our four applications from last week to abide in Christ. You cannot abide and not read the Word. You cannot abide and not pray. You cannot abide and not be a part of a group of believers. You cannot abide and not obey God. So I wanted to take those and by extension just to simplify because we're in the same context. Same application. How can you grow to love one another for applications very quickly? Continue to attend a healthy church. Why? How in the world will this help you to love one another and to grow in Christ? And it's very simple. Your attendance will encourage other people. It's an act of love to show up and say, I want to be there with you. Now, are you going to miss? Absolutely. Are you going to be out of town? Absolutely. Are you going to be sick or just roll over one morning on the alarm? Absolutely. But your desire is to be with them. But your presence does convey love to a congregation, to a church, to one another, because you want to be there with them. And take it one step further. We love to say we're the body of Christ, but a body that's dismembered is no good. Right? A body is meant to be together. So for that hand to work, it's got to be connected to the arm, which is connected to the shoulder, which is connected to the rest of the body. And so whenever we're not together, then we are a dismembered body and we cannot function as we're supposed to. So continue to attend because it encourages and it's an act of love to other believers. Read the Word. How in the world does you reading the Word teach us or help us to love one another? There's like, a, I wish I had like a board I could draw, but if this is God, I don't know why I went all the way over here. Let's go right here. It's more in the middle. I'm OCD. I have to be balanced. Okay, so if this is God, and this is Chas, and this is me, we can keep trying to grow closer in our love for one another, but this is a one-way path. And what we might find is like magnets, we repel one another. But if we have a common point that we are all growing to, if Chas is growing to God and I am growing to God, we are being pulled together into a unifying point. And if all believers are all passionately pursuing God and His Word is within us and it's refining and sanctifying us and we are pushing towards Him and we're reading His Word, God will naturally draw us together. Because as we're all going to the same destination, that's all that can happen. If you need to see this in action and to a ridiculous degree, watch the gates of Disney from the parking lot to the entry. Everybody's coming from all these points. 
but they all diverge to this one single point. And that's what the Word will do for you and me also for one another. Another application. Last week I said pray to God. I'm going to say pray for one another. I have found in my life that it is impossible not to grow in my affections for someone if I'm praying for them. It is impossible to be angry long-term at them. It is impossible to be bitter towards them. If I am praying for someone, what God has always done is He has always changed my heart for that person. That's why we always keep sending out reminders. Pray for one another. Because if you don't like me, I get it. But the way to like me more is not to spend more time with me, but it's to pray for me. Because as you pray for me, God will align our hearts. Why? Because that which He has called us to do, He will equip us to do. He said, love one another. And you don't know how to love me? Pray for me, and God will equip you to love me more. Fourth one, trust and obey all that God has called you to do. This is the last point, and then we're going to pray. Trust and obey what God has called you to do. How in the world does that help you to love me more and to love your neighbor more? And it's simply this, that when you obey, you are on the narrow road. And we know that path, that there's a wide gate that leads, or a wide road that leads to a wide gate that leads to hell, and there's a narrow road that leads to a single gate, which is through Christ, and that's what we want to be on. When we obey, we're on the narrow road. But you will find that when you obey God, and when you trust Him, that that narrow road is wide enough for fellow believers to walk side by side, shoulder to shoulder, to pick one another up whenever we fall. So if you're not trusting and obeying, that is a sin. But if you're trusting and obeying, and we're all trusting and obeying, and we're doing exactly what God has called us to do, then He will bring our paths along, and on the narrow road, we will walk side by side. And you know what you tend to do when you walk side by side with someone? You tend to grow in your affection with them, and you tend to talk to them more, and think of them more, and pray for them more, and love them more. Whenever Chas and I, I just always use, use my family because I'll put myself out there. I've seen some couples and they'll walk like this. Like there'll be the wife or the husband and the other one's behind them. What a horrible way. Like, I just can't do that. You know why? I like to walk side by side. Now, she probably, some of you are like, see, pastor nailed it. Okay, <laughs> so your exercise today is walk around your neighborhood shoulder to shoulder. But for real, what happens whenever you are walk, walking shoulder to shoulder, you're actually with that person. There is a different feeling of intimacy there. That's what the church is called to do. The church has been called for every believer to passionately pursue Christ. And as we do it, we are walking alongside one another. Y'all, so to sum it up, last week, Jesus said that genuine believers will bear fruit. They will cling to Him. They absolutely will bear fruit. And this week, He said the chief evidence of your abiding in me is that you will love one another as I have loved. And I will love in this way. I will lay down my life. And so Jesus then died on the cross. And they understood love in a vastly different way. What would it look like if we lived that way? Loved that way? It is absolutely ridiculous and antithetical to this world. The world does not love this way. That's why in John 13, 35, he said, By this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. And now he says, here's how you love. The world doesn't get it. The world looks in. And what if instead of knowing what we are against in this world, they knew what we were for? We are for loving one another and loving God the Father.
Let's pray. Lord, we love you. But, oh God, we only love you because you first loved us. Lord, you did walk by the disciples and you said, follow me. And immediately they would drop their nets or drop what they were doing and they would follow you, not knowing what the journey would look like. Lord, we are not called to know the full plan. We are called to this moment right now to obey. And so this one step in following you is to love one another as you have loved us. I do not know how to love like that every day. I don't know how to love like that hour by hour. But God, I want to. I want to love with such a richness that you have for us so that all men and all women who are around me will know that I really have seen and savored the Christ who is glorified. Lord, may your word cleanse us. May we tremble that we are in the hands of a living God who is holy and mighty. And Lord, for anything that I did say that was wrong, may it wash away. And for everything that was true in your word, may your word remain with us. Lord God, we love you. As we sing one more song to you, may we sing it because you are worthy. May we reflect on your great love for us. And then may we go to tell others of who you are. Amen.